You're listening to Denver Orbit. Episode 22. The in sound from way out. Hello, and welcome to Denver Orbit, an audio magazine featuring voices, stories, and music from Colorado's creative community. I'm Josh Madison, and I'm recording this from inside a gangster's violin case. Boy, won't he be surprised. Hey, let's talk about some things, upcoming things. Denver Orbit will have a table at the Denver Zine Fest at the McNichols Building on June 24th. That's this weekend, by the way. Come by and say hi. Shannon Geis will be there with me and will be debuting Denver Orbit's Take a Story, Leave a Story booth. It's going to be great. Find out more about it at the event section on our Facebook page or just go to denverzinelibrary.org and click on the Denver Zine Fest tab. Now today, we've got things for you. We've got a rumination from producer Shannon Geis, a story from author John Cotter of the Lighthouse Writers Workshop, and a sound piece from Arlo White. But one last thing before we start. Do you have a song, story, avant-garde sound piece, poem, menimo, minutes from a work meeting, idea for a documentary, or any other kind of thing? Drop me a line at denverorbit at gmail.com and let's chat. So let's start the show. Shannon Guy sent this wonderful piece over when she saw the panicked look in my eyes when I said I had no idea what I was going to put in the next episode a couple of weeks ago. It's always good to have a lifesaver around. Step outside and go for a run. Just start by putting one foot in front of the other. Breathe in, breathe out. It always feels a bit awkward at first. Like your body doesn't quite know how to move this way. But after a few hundred feet, a rhythm kicks in and it starts to feel a little bit less like flailing. The first mile is the hardest. You can't stop thinking about the stress you're trying to escape. Nagging frustrations and insecurities weigh you down, make your feet feel like lead. It feels like you'll never shake it. For me, it was the death of my father when I was 19 that pushed me into long distance running. Home didn't really feel like home anymore. It felt empty even with the rest of my family there. But there was nowhere else for me to go, so I started running. I'd never run more than two miles at a time up to, up to that point. But suddenly I was running six, then seven, then more, along the gravel roads near the house that used to be my dad's. Turn the corner. It's around mile three that all the painful thoughts start to slide away. Instead of thinking about the anger and sadness, you start to focus on your footsteps, measuring your cadence, taking notice of your breath. Left, right, left, right. Breathe in, breathe out. Nothing else matters anymore. There's no before, no after, 
just right now. Everything starts to feel clear, straightforward. You know what to do, how to move your body. You feel like you could do this forever. Just run. You're alive and no one can stop you. you watch the cars go by and the birds sing in the trees and it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter whether your world is crashing around you, whether your family is falling apart. You have a purpose right now. Keep going. But around mile nine, fatigue starts to set in. Each step takes a little bit more effort than the last. And pretty soon you worry that you won't be able to lift your feet from the ground. The pain starts creeping back in, but it's physical pain now. Your lungs are straining for air and your legs have been stretched to their limit. Each step sends shocks up through your entire body. You start to slow down, but you try to push through to the next mile, just a little bit longer, just a little bit further, and then you stop. It's over. You can't go any further. You bend over in exhaustion, your short escape from reality quickly ending. But that sense of purpose and control, they linger. And for a moment, you think maybe things will be okay. Shannon Geis is a freelance audio producer and oral historian who loves telling stories, exploring historic places, and traveling. You can hear more of her work at shannongeis.net. As I mentioned before, she'll be at the Denver Zine Fest at the Denver Orbit Table on June 24th at the McNichols Building, so get your tickets now. Listen, for some reason the show has an Instagram page. I'm not really sure what's going on there, but it's worth a look. Also, we have a Facebook page. Nothing much happens there, but it's nice. Up next is a continuation of my attempt to have everyone from the Lighthouse Writers Workshop on the show. John Cotter stopped by Denver Orbit to tell a story, and here it is. noticed my hearing was starting to vanish. I was jogging every day, working as a newsletter editor in Marblehead, Massachusetts. There are rocky beaches all through the northern coast of Massachusetts, but Nahant Beach features a gently sloping shore. And by gently sloping, I mean you can run 20 feet out into the water before your ankles are totally submerged. You run another 20 feet, and perhaps your shins, and another 40 feet, and perhaps your knees. I would run straight into the surf and hear it splashing around me. When I heard well, many of my favorite sounds involved water. 
a dog drinking, a simple need simply fulfilled. The splash of water on the shore as waves crash up against rocks and droplets cascade back to foam. It wasn't on the beach, but in the car on the drive home that I noticed I kept having to turn the volume up on the music. Higher and higher. Was there something wrong with the radio? Books on CD too. First I couldn't hear foreign accents. Then I couldn't hear regional accents that didn't happen to be New England regional accents. Very little felt reliable. Was there water in my ear? Swimming? Had I caught some of the chemicals Boston's famous for dropping into the water in the vast science experiment that is the North Massachusetts Bay? Making a snack for my girlfriend. Bringing drinks into the living room. I felt the floor pick up and throw itself into the air. I was falling. I didn't want to panic, but your body doesn't want to fall. It wants you on the floor, both feet. I wound up on my back in the couch, anxious, watching one corner of the room run itself like a strip of film moving too slowly from one end to the other. A roaring picked up in my left ear and then my right. Whistling and a click, 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 then a Sometimes it sounds like a vacuum cleaner. Sometimes it sounds like a chainsaw. It's always there. This I was told by a doctor at the Massachusetts Eye and Ear Infirmary was Meniere's disease. Your ears, he said, are like an old car. And one day, it just won't run anymore. And in the meantime, some days it runs, some days it won't. There's no cure for Meniere's disease. The typical recovery narrative that we're accustomed to follows a three-part course. Symptoms acquired, symptoms diagnosed, symptoms cured. If the condition is incurable, this third part of the narrative can easily be replaced with, thank God I was sick. Thank God I was sick because I never would otherwise have found Jesus Christ. Thank God I was sick, because otherwise I wouldn't have recognized the love of my family for what it is. Thank God I was sick. I connect to my community so much better now. Thank God I was sick. I understand the human body, and that understanding itself is a kind of mental health. Thank God I was sick. I found myself. A man goes blind and climbs Mount Everest endangering the lives of everyone around him as he does. A poor boy gets his legs blown off in the Boston bombing. 
he publishes a book called Stronger. We are a triumph culture. I had an incurable condition. There was no triumph in sight. How are you hearing this? How do we hear? The speaker in your earphones or your car or on your computer is vibrating particles of air. I'm moving particles of air with my throat, forcing it out of my chest and lending it shape by widening and narrowing my vocal folds. Those particles of air agitated by your speakers strike against your tympanic membrane, your eardrum, where they meet the little bones of the inner ear, which clack out patterns like communicating insects to the cochlea, the soft electronic portion of our ear, the little coiled snail shell filled with cilia cells, small hairs reaching up, thousands of them, tens of thousands, in a maze, in a labyrinth. The little bones clacking agitate the cilia. The cilia transform that clacking into electrical signals sent down the eighth cranial nerve. If you were to take your finger and put it not straight into your ear, but just above the opening of your ear, the pinna of your ear, and push it straight through to your brain. You would follow the course of the eighth cranial nerve to where it arrives in the language center of the brain. There you store a tonaptic map, a kind of three-dimensional set of directions where every sound you hear is related to every new sound where sound becomes sense. This part of the brain is connected to language, to memory, to learning. The bones of my ear clack at the same frequency as yours. That's not where the problem lies. Most of us, as we get older, lose a little hearing. But this is because either the little bones of the inner ear ossify, they stiffen, a kind of arthritis, or because the little cells inside the snail of our ear die from the outside in. It's hard to hear high voices. We hear low voices as well. In my own case, low voices are what I can't hear. My ear is dying from the inside out. No one knows what Meniere's disease precisely means. The ear is too delicate. We can dissect corpses. We can't dissect live adults. Touch the ear and you might kill it. One theory runs that fluid 
is building up inside my inner ear for reasons unclear to anyone. The fluid submerges those little cilia like marsh grass at high tide. Sometimes the water recedes. I can hear again. In the first years, I heard as well as anyone. The sounds of the world are beautiful. We know this. We forget it. On days when my hearing is good, I leave the house without my hearing aids. I hear the calls of birds, yeah, but also the rustle of leaves in the wind. I hear not just the putting motors of cars, but the voices inside. I hear the shush of my feet on the grass, the whisper of my finger down a page. At a coffee shop, a couple across from me flirt. I don't hear what they say, but when she goes to sniffle a sniffle, I hear the whisk of a Kleenex coming free of the pack. I hear the different species and varieties of laughter. I hear another level of meaning beneath their voice. I usually cry. Is it ethical that I explain this to you? That I trouble you with my moans and gripes? Simon Weil, the great philosopher and saint of the mid-20th century, proposed that ever discussing one's pain was a kind of ethical mistake. She suffered from migraines. She said, when I have a migraine, I have a tremendous impulse, almost irresistible, to push against someone else's forehead in exactly the spot where the pain occurs. Psychologists counsel mindfulness, meditation, our contemporary version of offering it up to God. But can we make art of our pain? As someone who's written a book about Meniere's disease, this is an important question to me. Must art embrace ambiguity, real art? What if there's no ambiguity to be found? How many stories end with the main character's entry into a life of suffering and unceasing pain? When we do read them, we call them horror, and we place them on a different shelf. There's an urge to make one's own story part of a larger fabric. This is a narrative about inclusivity. This is a narrative about deaf rights. This is a narrative. Society often signals us to get on with our life, not to dwell in the pain we experience. But what is art? if not a dwelling, one we can crawl inside. Whatever pain achieves, 
Ellen Scarry writes in The Body in Pain. It achieves in part through its unshareability. We know nothing better than we know our own pain, but we can never know the pain of another. In part because they can't communicate such a thing. As Scarry writes, physical pain does not simply resist language, but actively destroys it, bringing about an immense reversion to a state anterior to language, to sounds and cries a human being makes before language is learned. So why is this drive to explain our pain, to depict our suffering, one of the most potent in our lives. In his 1906 novel of mountain travel, translated by Alan Turney as The Three-Cornered World, Natsumi Soseki's narrator posits a river traveler, one who floats down the Uwe River toward Yoshida. He muses to himself, if you stood on the Ninabashi Bridge, in Tokyo, which hundreds of people cross every minute, and were able to elicit from each individual that went past the turmoil and confusion that lay buried in his heart. You would find yourself bemused by the knowledge of what this world can do to a man, and life would become unbearable. This is a story about life becoming unbearable. But it doesn't stop at that moment. I'm going deaf. We don't know how quickly it would happen. We know I have good days and bad days. It could be 10 years, it could be four. Already, I've changed considerably from the person that I once was. I'm kinder, but I'm quieter. I'm more nervous in larger companies. I'm more lonely when I'm alone. Things I would have experienced as pain five or ten years ago, I brush off my shoulder. Small annoyances I would have brushed off. I experience his pain. I worried for years I wouldn't be able to handle going deaf. I worried about how I'd handle it. But what I understand now is that when that eventuality does occur, I won't be the person you hear now. I'll be someone else. I know how I'll react to going deaf. I don't know how he will.
John Cotter is the author of the novel Under the Small Lights. His essays have appeared in Book Forum, Catapult, Electric Literature, Georgia Review, Guernica, and Smartset. For the decade of 07 to 17, until the magazine published its final issue, John was executive editor at the review site Open Letters Monthly. A New Englander for most of his life, he currently lives and works in Denver, where he teaches at Lighthouse Writers Workshop. You can find him at johncotter.net, and I'll have a link to that and his Twitter and some of his other writing in the show description. Finally, we've got Extreme Danger by Diablo Montalban. This was originally performed live on Hypnotic Turtle Radio, April 5th, 2018, a weekly radio art exploration of the bizarre and the beautiful. Hypnotic Turtle Radio, now in its fifth year on Boulder's Radio 1190, Thursdays 9 to 11 p.m., continues to push the boundaries of audio entertainment. Mixing multiple sound sources and infinite music genres with spoken word, movie dialogue, etc., overlapping, reversing, whatever, to create something unique for the moment, never to be performed in the same way again, question mark. Let's listen. This is extremely dangerous to our democracy. 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 
This is extremely dangerous to our democracy. This is extremely dangerous to our democracy. This is extremely dangerous to our democracy. This is extremely dangerous to our democracy. This is extremely dangerous to our democracy. This is extremely dangerous to our democracy. This is extremely dangerous to our democracy. This is extremely dangerous to our democracy. This is extremely dangerous to our democracy. This is extremely dangerous to our democracy. This is extremely dangerous to our democracy. This is extremely dangerous to our democracy. This is extremely dangerous to our democracy. This is extremely dangerous to our democracy. This is extremely dangerous to our democracy. This is extremely dangerous to our democracy. This is extremely dangerous to our democracy. This is extremely dangerous to our democracy. This is extremely dangerous to our democracy. This is extremely dangerous to our democracy. This is extremely dangerous to our democracy. This is extremely dangerous to our democracy. This is extremely dangerous to our democracy. This is extremely dangerous to our democracy. This is extremely dangerous to our democracy. This is extremely dangerous to our democracy. This is extremely dangerous to our democracy. This is extremely dangerous to our democracy. This is extremely dangerous to our This is extremely dangerous to our democracy. 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 Fox San Antonio's Jessica Headley. And I'm Ryan Wolf. Our, our greatest responsibility is to serve our Treasure Valley communities, the El Paso Las Cruces communities, Eastern Iowa communities, Mid Michigan communities. We are extremely proud of the quality, balanced journalism that CBS4 News produces. But we are concerned our country. The sharing of biased and false news has become all too common on social media. More alarming, some media outlets publish these same fake stories without checking facts first. The sharing of biased and false news has become all too common on social media. More alarming, some Is it? 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 Is it?
Diablo Montalban, the master of audio disaster, is an art noise performance artist and resident DJ on Hypnotic Turtle Radio. His performances range from solo parking lot sound clashes to full-blown band performances as part of the Diablo Montalban experience. The next live Diablo Montalban experience will be on the KGNU Cabaret Tuesday, June 19th at 7 p.m. on Community Radio KGNU, kgnu.org. Diablo Montalban is the alter ego of Arlo White, a lifelong artist who has spent countless hours studying and practicing art in its many forms. His comic strip Hypno Boy appears sporadically in Birdie magazine. He's shown his artwork at Next Gallery, Core New Art Space, and Art Parts, among others. Over the last dozen years or so, Arlo has served as frontman for some of the most exciting bands in Denver, including Dead Bubbles, The Buckingham Squares, and Sparkle Jets. He can also be seen live painting with Denver's Dead Orchids. Since 2013, Arlo has produced and hosted more than 215 episodes of his weekly radio show, Hypnotic Turtle Radio. Episodes and Diablo's recordings are available for stream and download at hypnoticturtle.com. You can also find Arlo on Facebook, Etsy, and Instagram. You know where you can find links to all these, do you? That's right, in the show description. And that's it for today's show. Denver Orbit is produced, edited, sound effectified, and hosted by me, Josh Madison, and I will see you again in two weeks. Wow, 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 wow.